How is everybody? Good, good. Hey, someone left me this shirt. I think this is kind of funny. Uh, it says, Jesus loves you and I'm trying. <laughs> so, that's good. <laughs> hey, I wanted to say for the last uh, month or so, um, our conversation here and, and just in the city has been very tense, uh, a lot of emotions. And um, after seeing what unfolded yesterday, which <laughs> was an epic fail, uh, it, uh, <laughs> um, I, I looked at the news this morning and Huffington Post wrote an article on it, the Wall Street Journal did as well, that said uh, white supremacist groups cancel event because of peaceful resistance in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> I, I have never been so proud of our city. Uh, I'm so proud of our police force. I'm so proud of the peaceful counter-protesters. I'm so proud of the sheriff's department and our mayor and our churches. And I'm just so, so proud of our community. And on a serious note, if you see any of our law enforcement this week or if you find yourself in Shelbyville, they did a fantastic job. Um, you need to tell those guys and those women how appreciative you are and uh, how good of a job they did. They absolutely knocked it out of the park. Fantastic. Um, again, I am, I am so unbelievably proud of, of our city. We, we handled it in a great way. We responded in such a good way and showed uh, the heart of Christ so much in our city. Very, very proud. So um, I'm also very, very happy to get back to doing what I feel like we do best, and that's just teach the word and spread the gospel and help the community. And so we're in the book of Acts, which we've been in for a while. If you've never been to this church, we go through whole books of the Bible, okay? And so we're halfway through chapter seven of Acts. Now let me catch you up a little bit if you're not familiar with this at all, okay? The book of Acts comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so it's the fifth book of the New Testament, and it is about the followers of Jesus going out into their communities and living out what Jesus taught them to do, which is kind of neat. We got to see that happen currently, right, in this, in this last week. And so where we are in the story is this. The church has grown. It's grown very, very rapidly. And so they're kind of to, having to organize a little bit. And so what they do is they get together and they say, okay, you individuals, you're going to teach, you're going to preach, you're going to pray for people. You individuals are going to be in charge of helping with the poor, distributing the money that the church brings in, distributing the food that we have for widows and for orphans and for people who can't provide for themselves. So they started divvying up responsibilities. One of the individuals who was on the benevolent side of it, not the teaching preaching side yet, but on the benevolent side of it was a young Greek Jew, which I know sounds odd, but he was a Hellenistic Jew, which means he was kind of an unorthodox Jew. He was selected, a guy named Stephen, to help the widows, to help the poor. Okay, that's where he started off. And so as he did this work, it says that he was full of grace and power, and he became a very prominent leader in the community, and they started to take notice of him. He was arrested by the same people that arrested Jesus. He was falsely accused with the same accusations that they accused Jesus of. And so we got into chapter 7, and this young man named Stephen is virtually on trial. And so when he gets up there, it says they looked at him, he looked like an angel, and then he rolls into a history lesson. He talks about Abraham, he talks about the 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes of Israel, he talks about Joseph, and then he talks about Moses. And what he's doing is he's building up to Jesus and how all of history led to Jesus 
And not just Jesus, we talked about last week, all of human history has led to you and I, to our current age. So we asked, what are we doing with that? Do we still remember that we have a purpose, a responsibility, a mission from God to do His work? Do we remember that? Now this week we're going to talk about this as we see the end of Stephen's life, his short life. We're going to see that how we respond, so interesting how it fits at this weekend, that how we respond determines our future. It determines our destiny. It determines what our legacy is and what our eternity is, okay? How we respond. That's where we're going to go today, okay? Okay, so you should have a notes handout in front of you. Has virtually everything I'm going to say in it. If you have a smartphone, the version app, Y-O-U version, if you download that and you click on the bottom right button and then events, I believe uh, our church will pop up and it's all there. It's also in Spanish. Um, so all that is available for you. And I think that's pretty much it. If you have a Bible, we're in chapter 7 of Acts, which is in the New Testament, the fifth book. And we're going to start in the second half of verse 38. And I'm going to roll right into 39 and continue on a little bit, okay? And we'll finish up chapter 7. Man, I love you guys. Like, two weeks ago, I'm like, I want to, like, do something else with my life. And now I'm like, I'm ready to, like, do this, you know? Like, I'm just really, really happy to be here. So, anyways, glad you're here. Glad I'm here. Things are a lot better today. So uh, let's pray and let's jump into this. God, we love you. God, we thank you. I thank you so much for your protection. I thank you, God, for the great leadership in our community. I thank you for the other churches. Father, though this weekend has passed, that doesn't mean that, that danger is completely gone or that the conversation is over. Lord, we pray uh, for all the churches in our community, God, and we specifically want to pray for Pastor James McCarroll over at First Baptist. We want to pray for Pastor Vinny over at Olive Branch. We want to pray for Pastor Jason Scales over at Believer's Faith Fellowship and their primarily African-American groups, Lord God, and we just pray that you protect them and keep them safe. Father, we pray that you keep our whole community safe and that we can just advance your gospel, God, and advance the truth. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Keep your hand on us today and, and, and just open up our minds today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. Remember, Stephen is still talking about Moses. He says, Moses received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him, but pushed him away and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, he was kind of second in command, make us gods who will go before us for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. Then God turned away and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, house of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness? No. You took up a tent for Moloch and the star of your god, Raphon, the images that you made to worship. So I will deport you beyond Babylon. So again, what Stephen is trying to do is he's trying to prove or, or teach these very highly educated, influential, affluential religious leaders, the most powerful men in all of Israel. He's trying to show them that people have denied Jesus. He's building up to that. So he goes back to Moses and he says, look, after the Jewish people were liberated from Egypt, after they saw miracles in the wilderness, after they got direct instruction from God given to Moses, they still didn't listen to Moses. They still didn't listen to him. 
So even though they were geographically far away from the land of Egypt, their slavery, their bondage, they were going back there in their hearts. Now, this is a very common Christian terminology. Sometimes if someone was, I don't know, addicted to sex or addicted to drugs or addicted to pornography or something like that, they get delivered from that, but they go back to it willingly. We sometimes say that people have gone back to Egypt, not literally Egypt, but Egypt is a metaphor for bondage, for slavery, okay? So we learn in this that sin is not only in the action, but sin actually starts in the heart and in the mind. It starts long before the action. Jesus even said, well, you say you've never cheated on your wife, but if you lust for another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart that you've already sinned. So we learn that it goes deeper than just the action. It's the state of the heart. It's the state of the mind, okay? We also learn that just because a pathway is easier doesn't mean that it's better. So the Jewish people were liberated after 400 years of slavery. And so the Jews had forgotten what God had brought them out of. And because, this is so important, guys, because liberation is never painless. Freedom always costs us something. It's pricely. It's costly. And so they longed to return back to an easier time, right? Well, you know, at least we weren't in the wilderness at that time. I know we're free now, but when we were in bondage, at least we had three meals a day and a place to lay down at night. And so here's what they did, and this is what we tend to do. Sometimes when, it's, when, when the cost of freedom becomes heavy or when it gets tiresome working for our freedom and our liberation, sometimes we want to go back to a temporary slavery because it gives us some relief. Guess know what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes it's hard to always like think pure thoughts and do the right thing. So we'll go back and binge watch pornography or we'll go out and get drunk at a bar or we'll go out and do something stupid because it gives us a little bit of relief in the moment. But in the long term, it just, it puts us back into bondage. It puts us back into slavery. And so not only did they return to Egypt in their hearts, not physically, but in their hearts, they started building their own gods. So Stephen quotes from Exodus. And this story in Exodus is when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, he leaves the people for a short period of time, and what do they do, right? They get all their jewelry together and they construct a golden calf. I like how in the old Ten Commandments movie, they're like riding on this huge golden calf, and you go back and study it, and they think it was about the size of a football. So uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so they constructed this big golden calf. And so if you go back and study the Talmud, because I know that's what all you guys do in your free time, right? When you go back and study the Old Testament Jewish history, it claims that this was the worst sin that Israel had ever committed. That They had built this calf, this golden idol. Now again, it's easy for us to judge them. Wow, I can't believe they did that. Moses just went away for a couple of days. He comes back and they've constructed a new God. That's crazy. Let's look at ourselves today. We're very prone in our current age to create all kinds of idols that fulfill our selfish desires. We do it with all kinds of things because it is easier for us to create a custom-made God than to submit to the design of the actual creator. It's much easier for us to, to even take our idea of Jesus and warp it and change it and mix it up a little bit so Jesus fits me. The funny thing is, though, God has not made in our image. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God. We are to conform to Him. And so it says that people started celebrating what they had done with their own hands. Now, Romans 1.25, remember the book of Romans, the author of Romans was a guy named Paul, who we're actually going to meet here in a minute. 
So Romans 1.25 says that there will come a time when people will worship the creation more than the creator. Now, this has been happening all throughout human history, that people have worshiped things that they have made more than the creator that made them. I would say the difference between all of history and our current age is we now take in very, very kind of sick, twisted pride in the fact that we have done everything on our own. Look at what I've done. Look at how good we are as a people. It's within us. All goodness is within us. And we've made it kind of an anthem in our time. And whenever a group of people start worshiping creation more than creator, the result of that is that God turns away from that people. Now, here's the thing. God's grace is deep. If I were to go around this room and and poll some of you and talk to some of you and have some of you share your stories, you guys can attest to the grace of God, the depth of his grace. And even though God is gracious though, we must also know that if we constantly push him away and deny him and neglect a relationship with him, that there comes a time when we will be given over to our selfish desires, to where the King James Version calls it the reprobate mind, that we are given over to what we want and what we want to pursue. So go back to the current time, right, where Stephen is talking to this council. So just like how this that the Jewish people years and years and years ago denied Moses, this group of individuals that denied Jesus, because they denied Jesus, this was going to send them into another wilderness experience. Not that they were literally gonna go to the wilderness, but they were gonna go into a dry spell spiritually because they denied Jesus. And just like the rebellious people of the past, Stephen looked at them and said, you have put more trust in traditions, you have put more trust in comforts, and you have put more trust in the easy way than you have into the will of God. And so Stephen was warning them, you're about to make the same mistake our predecessors did before us, okay? Let's keep moving forward. So our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness. Just as he spoke to Moses and commanded him to make it, according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn received it and with Joshua brought it in when they disposed of the nations that God drove out before our fathers until the days of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked him if he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon, that's David's son, who eventually built God a house. However, Stephen says, God does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my resting place? Did not my hand make all of these things? So if you weren't with us last week, one of the arguments that Stephen was having with this council is this council of traditional Jews that that were running the whole uh, uh, area of Israel. One of the thoughts that they had was is that God only dwelled in their area and he only dwelled in their temple, right? Everyone had to come to them. Everyone had to come to their temple. And Stephen was arguing with that. And one of the things he was arguing with is he says, once upon a time, kind of the Jewish glory days is when we came out of Egypt, we would build a mobile tabernacle. It could move around from place to place And wherever that was, God was there. So that means that God isn't just confined to one area. 
that God would go wherever his people went. There was the presence of God. We talked about that last week. So again, he brings that argument up a little bit. And so Stephen also quotes from Isaiah 66. I love this, right? So he looks at these people who thinks that they can contain the presence of God in a building. And Stephen reminds them that heaven is God's throne and earth is God's footstool, right? God like kicks his feet up on planet earth if he wants to. So how is your house going to contain him? That's what he brings up. And so what we learn is this, God, our God, is bigger than human experience, and he is bigger than human explanation. Now, we need to be careful with that, because some people will take that idea and say, God is so abstract that we can't know anything about him. We can't put a label on him. We can't do anything. We can't do that because God is so infinite and he's so big, we, we just cannot understand anything about him. And that's not altogether true either. Because of the Holy Bible, the Bible gives us the basic tenets of God. It gives us the nature and the character of God. So though we don't know everything about God, we can't explain the Holy Trinity. We can't explain the fact that he's outside of time. That doesn't make sense to us yet. But we do know that God is love. We do know that he's gracious. We know that he cares about his creation. We know the character and we know the nature of God. We even know what his name is now, right? He was given a name and we got to, humanity got to even see him in person as Jesus Christ, that we know how God is and we know his nature. And what had happened though, and what Stephen was kind of arguing with these guys about, not arguing, but kind of proving a point about, is that over time, the simplicity of God's relationship with people had been convoluted. It had been made too complicated. In the Old Testament, really, the Jewish people were only given 10 laws, the 10 commandments. And most people on planet earth today, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, whatever, most of us can agree on the vast majority of those 10 commandments, about eight of the 10 of them. And so we can agree on most of these things. And what happened was over centuries and centuries and centuries, humans got a hold of the laws of God and we started tacking on our own ideas. And by the time Jesus came to earth, there were over 1,600 added laws to the 10 commandments. We had convoluted it. We'd made it too traditionalistic. We'd made it too religious, if you will, with too many superfluous religious things added on to it. Now, here's the thing, guys. There's nothing wrong with traditions. Um, a lot of you in your families have traditions. We as a church have traditions. We have a big volunteer banquet every year. We have Advent service every year. We have certain traditions that we do around the church. There's nothing wrong with that. Guys, there's not even anything wrong with high church. There's nothing wrong with the Anglicans or the Lutherans or the Catholics as long as they follow Christ and that's their Lord and Savior. There's nothing wrong with a lot of these things. The problem comes, though, is when people take man-made traditions and impose them on people and say that you have to do them or you're not saved. That's where the problem comes in. That's where a line has been crossed. And so Stephen, though, was an outsider. He wasn't a traditional Jew. He was a Hellenistic Jew which means he spoke Greek, he dressed like a Greek, he shaved his face, right? He wasn't a hipster, he shaved his face so he looked a lot different from the rest of the Jews. He also probably had never worshiped in their temple in Jerusalem. So he didn't have the same kind of reverence for the building that the rest of the Jews had. So when Jesus came along and he became a Christian, Stephen became a Christian, the whole idea that this is not where God dwells but this is where God dwells 
which the fancy word is called the universal priesthood of believers, that God dwells in us, not in a temple. That's the fancy way of saying it. That was easy for Stephen. He's like, okay, I get it, right? The temple never meant that much to me anyways. You know, like, I get that Jesus lives here. And so if Jesus has taught us anything, Stephen would say, it's that God is personal, God is compassionate, God is global, and that God doesn't just see a sea of people when he looks at us from heaven. He sees us as individuals, and he knows every hair on our head, and he wants the best for every single one of us. That's how Stephen would describe God. Okay, so let me go back to this for a second. So right now at this point in chapter 7, Stephen is standing here, the Sanhedrin is standing here, and up to this point, the Sanhedrin is probably okay with Stephen. Wow, this young guy, you know, like looks like an angel, talks like an angel, he knows our history, like he doesn't look exactly like us, but we're okay with this guy, he's, he's okay so far. Maybe we were wrong in accusing him of these things, right? So far this has kind of been the tone. And then Stephen says this. <laughs> He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels." and yet you have not kept it. So the tempo has kind of changed a little bit. And so we go from this history lesson, from this young man that looks like an angel, to now he is looking at the most powerful people in his entire country, and he says, you guys have committed murder. Stephen was being so, his accusations was as good as him saying, kill me, come kill me. And for centuries, he says, you've been killing men of God who have stepped up and tried to warn you and tell you hard truths. Instead of you listening to the hard truth, for centuries and centuries and centuries, you have killed all of the prophets. You've killed them and murdered them. And so he says, you are stiff-necked people. Now, let me clarify here for a second. This does not give us the license to be disrespectful to leaders, even bad leaders. I believe Stephen loved these people so much that he had tried so hard to be peaceful and to tell them in a calm manner it wasn't working. So his last ditch Hail Mary throw was to raise his voice and to say, you've got to stop this. So he says, you are stiff-necked, which means you won't look to the left, you won't look to the right, you will only look the direction you want to look. And then he goes really at him. And he says, you have uncircumcised hearts. Now, I don't want to get into circumcision today, but they were all circumcised, so they physically looked the part. They dressed the right way. They had gone through the circumcision rituals. Everything on the outside was what it was supposed to be. But Stephen says, it's not the outside that's the problem. It's your heart. You have not given your heart to God yet. You're not listening to Him. You haven't submitted to Him. They claimed to be followers of God. They looked the part of followers of God, but they didn't act like followers of God. Jesus looked at this same group of people and he said, you guys are like whitewashed graves. You look beautiful on the outside, but you're full of dead, dead bones and carcasses on the inside. That's how Jesus called them out. And so the past should have taught these men a lesson. Stephen just gave them a history lesson. He said, look, Look at all the mistakes you've made in the past that our people have made in the past when they didn't listen and they did these awful things. We should have learned from this. Not just that, God sent us prophets 
to tell us and give us clarity about Jesus. And since they should have known that, their decisions should have been different. But they went on killing. And the most recent person they had killed was John the Baptist. And then more and more of these prophets are being killed. And at this point, Stephen probably knew he was next. He probably knew this was about to come to him. Now again, it is so easy for us to judge, right? We can say, man, they're so dumb. They've had all of these warnings and history and these repeated mistakes. Why didn't they listen? Let's look at us for a second, guys. How many times in our lives have we repeated the same mistake over and over and over again? Not just that. How many times have we repeated the, the same mistake over and over and over again? And God has sent us men and women in our lives to say, hello, stop, and we don't listen. I wish I had a dollar <laughs> for every time someone would come up to me and they'd say something along these lines. I'm not thinking of a, a specific incident, but things like this. Hey, Corey, I've struggled with alcoholism for 25 years. I've been sober for a year. My friend's having a bachelor party at a bar. Should I go? Do you have to be a pastor to answer that? I'm sorry. I just said, no, you shouldn't go. You have struggled with alcoholism. And so, guys, I hope this doesn't make anyone's head explode. If one struggles with drinking too much alcohol, one should not go to a place where their prime objective is to give you alcohol. Okay, and I don't have anything against you drinking alcohol as long as you do it in moderation and don't get drunk, right? But we're just saying, like, maybe some of us should stay away from those places. And so when people come up and they ask me this question, I give them what I feel like is godly wisdom, even though I don't think it takes a whole lot of godly wisdom to answer that question. I will answer that question, and then they will still do what they want to do, and then they'll come back to me after they've slept with another woman when they're married because they got drunk and passed out somewhere, and they say, how did this happen? And I say, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. You made this mistake before in the past, and you didn't take heed of that, and then you had godly counsel to tell you to go a different way, and you didn't listen. And we fall back into the same trap over and over again. We've all done it, guys, but we've got to break that cycle. And so Stephen, at this point, guys, he, he's kind of done, and he knows he's done. He started off this conversation by looking at these men and saying, brothers and fathers, at this point, he doesn't want to play ball anymore. He's done. They have no desire to listen to him. And at this point, they are so angry that they're going to kill him in the streets. Not only are they going to kill Stephen, they had just killed Stephen's leader, Jesus Christ. So here's the thing, guys. This is a hard truth that a lot of us don't want to talk about in the Bible. If we're trying to help people, and if we're trying to teach them the truth, give them the gospel, whatever help we are trying to provide them, if there is no acknowledgement of wrongdoing, if there is no acknowledgement of sin, and if there is no desire for one to change, there will be no forgiveness of sin and there will be no progress. This is the bottom line. If you go to a counselor and the counselor says, on a scale of one to 10, how bad do you want to fix your marriage? And you say a zero, a good counselor will say, have a good day. I can do nothing for you. Because where there is no acknowledgement of a wrong and when there is no desire to change, no progress can be made. Corey, that sounds so harsh. It sounds like something Jesus said one time. Jesus told his followers, he said, listen, if you go into a town and you are trying to love them and share the truth with them and be peaceful with them and come in and offer them guidance, and if they don't want to listen to you, Jesus' words, he said, shake the dust off your feet and leave. Go and find someone who does want to listen. Guys, that doesn't mean that we give someone one shot, right? One shot, they don't listen, we're done, right? No. It doesn't, it doesn't quantify how many times we should do this and how long we should do this. 
But Jesus is saying, if you feel like they've reached a point to where they have no desire to hear you, find someone who will hear you. Don't waste your time there any longer. And that's hard for us to accept. Guys, we should still leave the door open. We should still pray for people. But there are so many people around you that need to hear the truth that sometimes we need to have the wisdom and discernment to know this is not a good use of my time right now. I'm going to go over here. And then Jesus gives a very strong warning to those who refuse to change. He says, it will be more tolerable for you if you lived in Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be on the day of the judgment for people who won't listen. I don't know if you guys know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, but they didn't have a good ending in those towns. Fire and brimstone raining down from heaven destroyed those towns, okay? So here's my question, guys, and I'm not trying to be a jerk with this. I often ask, has our nation become that nation? So Stephen saw that this situation was near hopeless. And so he's just throwing, like I said, a Hail Mary pass. Maybe someone will hear the truth if I raise my voice and speak out a little bit louder. And so get this. Again, this sounds so eerily familiar to our current state. Our, not our state of Tennessee, but our state as a nation. This nation of Israel said we are a nation under the true God. But they didn't act like it. They didn't act like it in business. They didn't act like it in religion. They didn't act like it in economies and finance. They didn't act like it in culture and in society. And I look at present-day United States, where we claim to be 68% Christian. Guys, if you look at our politics, if you look at our economics, if you look at our culture, our movies, our music, if you look at everything about American society, I don't know if we represent a 68 percentile Christian ideology. Do you? Or is, I mean, is that just me? So we keep saying we're one nation under God, and we keep saying we're a Christian nation. And guys, I want to be able to say that with a straight face. But I don't know if I can right now. And I'm not saying that against our country. I love our country. But I don't know if a, as a people, if we are displaying the principles of Jesus Christ right now. So when they heard these things, hopefully you guys won't do this, when they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, being filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. Then they screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed Stephen. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, Stephen fell asleep. So the angry mob at this point had no time to chill out. This is not the first time that the Jewish leaders had gotten mad at a Christian. They had done this before, but a guy named Gamaliel, oddly enough, Saul's teacher, said, hey, let's calm down, let's calm down. And nothing bad happened in that moment. At this moment, there was no time for that. They were gonna rush him, and they were gonna murder a young man in the streets. So to contrast their hatred, this is important, to contrast their hatred, Stephen was even more filled with the Holy Spirit. He was more filled with God than he had probably ever been. Then it says he looked up to heaven, he gazed up to heaven. This is so important. And he saw Jesus not sitting at the right hand of God, 
but standing at the right hand of God. Why is that important? Jesus was standing maybe to welcome in the first person to ever die for his name. Maybe he was standing to be a witness of how good of a man Stephen was. He was standing up saying, I can vouch for Stephen. Or maybe he was standing up because he knew that one day he would vindicate Stephen, that he would be the judge who would place judgment on those who killed him. Which one was it? It was probably all three. Because Jesus plays many roles in our lives. He is our comforter, he is our support system, and he's also our advocate for justice. That one day, all of the evil, guys, we need to take heart in this. One day, Jesus Christ will come and obliterate all evil. He will take care of all of it. It says in Revelation, it's quite anticlimactic, actually. He shows up, all the evil forces on planet Earth are there. It says he opens up his mouth and they're all decimated. You know, we were waiting for something a little bit more epic, right? But it ends quite quickly with Jesus and evil is taken care of. So it says when they heard this, when Stephen looked up, he says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, they lost it. Look at this. They covered their ears, they screamed at the top of their lungs, and they rushed at him. And again, this seems very close to how some people react to the truth, even today. That when we give them the truth, when we show them facts, when we give them testimonies, even in the most loving manner, that some people will react by covering up their ears so they do not have to hear, and they will scream so they do not have to hear the truth, and they will act in a violent manner. The reason why some people do this is because the name of Jesus is a dividing name. And I don't mean that like it divides people, like God doesn't love people. But when you talk about Jesus Christ, it's a very divisive name in the fact that you have to decide who Jesus is. One cannot be on the fence with Jesus. Jesus said, you're either for me or you are against me. So C.S. Lewis said, we have to put Jesus in one of three camps. Either he is Lord, who he says he is. He's a pathological liar because he told everyone he was God. Or he was a raving lunatic. He can only be one of the three. We can't blend them. We can't take him down another avenue. He's got to be one of those. So we have to come to a deciding fact with Jesus Christ. And so they start to stone Stephen. Man, you talk about like the electric chair or lethal injection being barbaric. Imagine this. They drug him out in the street. They start to throw rocks at his head until he's dead. And it says that as they are mobbing him and about to stone him, it says they take off their coats and they lay them at the feet at a young man named Saul. This young man who organized this murder, somewhere in the neighborhood of 24 to 40 years old, a young man. I like that. I'm 38. I like to think that I'm still young. So a young man between 24 and 40 who organized this murder, this man, spoiler alert, eventually became the man that wrote 70% of your New Testament. And so now we've seen three trials against the Christians. The first one ended in threats, the second one ended in beatings, and now the third one ends in murder. Now here's the thing as Christians, guys, and our city did a fantastic job with this this week. As Christians, we do not look for opposition, but as a Christian, you must know that one day it's gonna find you. One day opposition will come, and it will come face to face with you. And here's the reason why we will receive opposition as Christians. Not for helping the poor, not for being benevolent, not for starting hospitals or orphanages. That's not why we're going to receive resentment. We will receive resentment because if we believe that Jesus Christ is the exclusive Savior of the world, as the words of Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to heaven except through Him. Those are Jesus' words. 
If we believe that, that will offend some people to the point of being physically violent with you. It has happened all throughout history. There is more people dying for Jesus' name right now than has ever happened in human history. Whole villages in the Middle East are being wiped out, children being hung by churches from the buildings, being killed and beheaded all over the place right now as we speak, more now than it has ever happened in human history. And so normally, it's stonings. Normally, when someone was stoned, they would lie down on their back, not willingly. The mob would shove them down. They would lie on their back. People would throw stones at their head until they were dead. Not Stephen, though. Look at this. Look at the imagery here. Stephen didn't lay on his back. Stephen ended up on his knees looking up. Fascinating. And Stephen echoes Jesus' prayer towards the end of Jesus' life, which Jesus was reciting an old Jewish prayer. And what Jews would do in this time is at the end of the day, it was very customary for Jews to say, God, forgive all those who've offended us. Forgive all those who've done mean things against us. Jesus said it as he was being crucified by the Roman soldiers. Stephen says it as he's being stoned to death by the Jewish officials. So what we learn is this. Jesus isn't the only one who is called to pray for his enemies. Every single follower of Jesus is to love and to pray for those who even want to violently hurt them. And we see that in Stephen. And so as he says this, as he's looking up on his knees, God, forgive them for what they do. It says he fell asleep. Now, sleep is a common term for death, right? We know that. You don't have to be, you know, a Bible scholar to know that. And the Greek word that we get sleep from right there is also the word we get for cemetery. It's funny as we have Halloween rolling up, cemeteries are supposed to be spooky and eerie, and they were never intended to be. They were a place where people slept until Jesus woke them up. And this young man, Saul, that was part of this, he actually wrote this, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. So let me ask you this, guys, and I'm going to get all deep on you here for a second. God forbid if something were to happen to you today, as we were being killed or after we got in a car wreck or some kind of health issue or whatever would have happened, if something happened to us today and our life were to end, A, would we be welcomed into heaven by Christ? B, here's where I really want to go. Have we lived the kind of life that makes Jesus stand up? Have we lived the kind of life? Have we loved people the way that we should have? Have we been peaceful and calm? Have we spoken the truth in the face of hostility? Have we lived in such a way that has made Jesus stand up to welcome us home. Here's the thing, guys. Let's look at Stephen's life. It wasn't just in his last moments that he made the right choice. It started a long time ago. Jesus was called, and we don't know exactly when, to be a follower of Christ. Now, here's the thing, guys. Every single one of you in this room, there's no excuse now. Every single one of you in this room has now had the opportunity to either accept Christ or deny Christ. We have all reached that junction right now in our lives as we're in this room. Everyone has had the opportunity as I speak to come into a place where you are welcome to worship however you please and to either accept Christ as the Savior of the world or to deny Him. So the first great decision Stephen ever made was he responded to the call of Christ. Yes, I will follow you. After he responded to his call to follow Christ, he responded to the call of serving not speaking in front of 3,000 people or being on TV or something like that. He responded to the call of feeding the poor. He responded to the call of distributing money to those that didn't have it. 
He responded to the call of doing the dirty work, the thankless work, the work that no one comes up to you and says, good job all the time. That's what he answered the call to, the call of serving. Once he was faithful in that calling, he was then called by God to lead. Says that he became gracious and full of power, full of the Holy Spirit, and that he answered that call. Guys, and I know some of you right now are just like, I may serve, but I'll never lead. Every single one of you, if you're a Christian, will lead in some capacity. I said this last week. Even at the very least, even though it's the greatest thing you can ever do, is you can lead someone into a relationship with Jesus. And every single one of you is called to do that. Not to be passive in our faith, not just to get saved and be like, I'm okay. We are all called to be missionaries, disciples who make other disciples. That was the command of God to all of his followers. And we have to answer that call. The call to lead our families, the call to lead our spouses, the call to lead our cities, to lead our governments, to lead our marketplace, that we have to accept that call. Here we go a little deeper. He responded to accusations with truth. He didn't respond to accusations with hate-filled text messages or tweets or Facebook posts. Guys, and I'll be honest with you, I am not the best at this. I looked at, I shouldn't have done it. After we posted that video last week, someone on the mayor's website wrote, I've never met this guy, wrote this long thing about how Corey Trimble's just in it for the money. And I was like, dude, you were barking up the wrong tree. We can like go balling in my 2007 RAV4 whenever you want, if you just want to look like you're super affluent too, you know? Anyways, so it's very hard for me to like restrain myself and not like, dude, like, did you see the t-shirt I'm wearing in that video, right? It was free. So like, instead of me responding like that, you have to restrain yourself. And so Stephen, I'm working on it. Stephen restrained himself. And when accusations came at him, he didn't spew more hatred. He just said the truth. He spoke the truth. He also responded to hostility with peace. He responded with peace with gentleness, with self-control. The fruit of the Spirit was bubbling up out of him. And guys, here's the last one. And this, maybe it was me that needed to hear this, but I think a lot of you need to hear this too. When they started throwing stones at Stephen, instead of him picking up a stone and hurling it back, he hit his knees and he looked up. When stones were thrown at him with the intent to kill him, he didn't respond by throwing stones back. He responded by hitting his knees and looking up to his Savior. There was a story uh, from a long time ago. There was a young, attracted, attractive, gifted, uh, musically talented, just, just natural leader, blessed by God, right? This leader who was coming up. He had done a lot of great things, had a huge track record for doing some very, very just phenomenal things in his culture and in his society. And as he was coming up, the leader before him got very, very jealous of him. And so for a long time, the leader before him let the devil creep into his heart. And this leader before him was God's anointed. God chose this leader. Another man named Saul, who was a king, the first king of the Jews. And so this man named Saul let jealousy creep into his heart. And he let fear creep into his heart that someone else may come up and do his job better. So this settled into Saul. And one day he saw this young, talented leader on the other side of the room, a young man named David. And Saul grabbed a spear 
and chucked it at him. He missed. And at that moment, though, David was in an odd crossroads. This younger, healthier, more fit man that everyone loved could have grabbed the spear, turned around, threw it back at Saul, could have killed him instantly and become king. But he didn't. Instead, he ran and he lived in caves. He took off and he took the route of peace. And his men constantly asked him, David, you could be king. You could have killed him multiple times, but you didn't. Why? And David said, I don't want to end up like that. That that is God's anointed. When God wants me to lead, if he wants me to lead, God will put me where I need to be. He trusted the Lord. So what happened to the destinies of Saul and David? Saul went down as being one of the worst leaders in the entire Bible. A man who was filled with jealousy and hatred, who even got to the point to where he started consulting demonic forces and witches. That's how bad he got, because he was a spear thrower. But King David, who the bloodline of Jesus Christ ran through, never threw spears. He never threw spears. Here's what I challenge you guys. If rocks and spears have not been thrown at you yet, mark my words, they will. They will. They may be thrown at you from people who have even raised you up and trusted, that you've trusted. They may be thrown at you from people that you love. But let me tell you what, let me give you some good advice from a man who's made many mistakes. Whenever you pick up the spear and throw it back, listen, you may get that promotion. People may know you as the tough guy that no one pushes around. You may have a temporary good feeling about yourself because you didn't back down. You didn't take it, right? But you know what ends up happening to spear throwers? Just like King Saul, they go mad. And they end up failing in the end. And they're never blessed by God. Don't throw stones. Don't pick up spears. We learn from Stephen that when things come our way, look at what has happened in our city. We didn't meet a bunch of hateful people with more resistance. We didn't meet them out on the streets with shields and bombs, and we didn't meet them out there with swords or guns or weapons. We didn't meet them out there with hatred. A community got together and hit their knees. They prayed, and the people didn't even make it to our town. Look at what has happened. I was so proud of our church. A, I'm so proud of you that you didn't go to the square and participate. I'm glad you did other things. Thank you for doing that. But I drove through the square Thursday night after Evident, and I cut through the square, and I saw little pockets of all people from our church just walking around praying, laying hands on buildings, praying in little circles. And it was about 10 o'clock at night. I was like, I am so proud of my church. You know, that's the way we fight. The way we fight is we essentially put it in God's hands. Don't pick up spears. Don't pick up stones. God knows what's right and wrong. He sees it. And he'll take care of us, guys. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there will be men and women, elders of our church up at the front on both sides. If you need prayer for anything, please come let them pray for you. Don't, don't be embarrassed or nervous or shy about that. Just, just come and there's men and women. 
anything you may need. You don't even have to tell them. Just say, hey, I need your prayers, and they'll pray for you. There's communion all the way around us. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Everyone is welcome to take communion, and we invite you to do so. If you are a non-believer in here, you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here, and I hope that you felt comfortable, and I hope that you come back. I hope that we have welcomed you warmly, and I, I just hope that this has been a good environment for you to be in. If you have any questions, email us, or come see us after service, or just, just find a way to touch base with us. And I just pray, guys, as you go back out into your community, regardless of what is thrown at you, take it to the Lord and see if God doesn't honor you. Let's live the kind of life where Jesus stands up and he takes note of how we've lived. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room, God. Bless anyone in this room who's come and maybe they're curious or they're not a believer and they just kind of want to see what's going on. God, I pray that you bless them and protect them, Lord. Father, again, we pray for the churches in our community, the police officers and sheriff's department and the wonderful nonprofits. And God, we just thank you for our city, Lord, and we pray that you continue to keep it safe. God, don't let us forget the lessons we've learned. God, don't let us uh, forget the mistakes of the past. God, don't, don't let us be ignorant to, to the things that we're not good at and that we need to work on. But Lord God, let us put those at your feet. Lord, when people throw stones or spears at us, God, don't let us retaliate. But Lord, let us love, let us pray. Let us be the advocates for peace and grace, God. Lord, we love you and we lift you up, God, and we thank you so much. And it's in your name that we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. I hope you have a great week. Thank you.